Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Sermon text this morning is that first scripture reading from before, that long section from 2 Kings chapter 4, a really dramatic, I would say heart-wrenching account. And to get into that, I want you to think about this truth that very often good things bring along with them some bad. Maybe a trivial example of that. If you ever bothered your parents for a dog, right? We really want a dog. And when kids really want a dog and ask for a dog, they'll envision only the positives, right? The, the fun that they're going to have playing with the dog, the companionship they'll get from a dog. And so they say, yes, we know it will be a big responsibility. We will feed it. We will care for it. We'll play with it. We'll clean up after it. We just really want a dog. Please, 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 please. And if they get a dog, they do enjoy the dog. But it seems that after a while, reality sets in, and so does the hassle. They actually do have to take care of it and clean up after it every day. And pretty soon, the same people who were complaining about not having a dog are now complaining about having a dog. Good things very often bring along with them some bad. You could think of other examples, owning a car, owning a house. Good things, but there's a lot of hassle and bad and frustration that comes along with it. This woman in 2 Kings chapter 4 discovered this as well. That along with the good comes the bad. But what we want to focus on today and see by the end of our time thinking about this section is that God's goodness has the last word. The first verse that you heard from 2 Kings 4 said this, The woman became pregnant, and the next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son just as Elisha had told her. So we jumped into the kind of the middle of the story there. This is a woman from the town of Shunem, kind of in the middle of Israel, and and she's often referred to simply as the Shunemite woman because we're never told her name. But what we are told about her is that she was pretty wealthy and she was an excellent host. Because whenever the prophet, God's prophet Elisha, would pass by that way, she would insist that he come over and they would feed him. And she even had her husband build a guest room so that he could stay there when he was in the area. So now we find out that she was pregnant and gave birth to a son. And this was not a a usual pregnancy or birth because this woman and her husband had grown old with no children. And it was the verse right before we pick things up that Elisha told her, about this time next year, you will hold a son in your arms. Something that would have been completely unexpected and shocking for her. But it's not the only time something like this happens in the Bible, is it? Can you think of other examples of of a time where a woman is not able or isn't expecting to have a child and then she receives news from God that she will? Happens a couple of times. And the thing is, normally when that type of thing happens, that child is going to be something special. Somebody who is necessary for keeping alive the line of the Savior. Or somebody who is super important for restoring Israel back to faith in God. 
people like Isaac, son of Abraham and Sarah, and Jacob, Isaac's son, sons for whom their mothers waited a long time, but sons who were necessary for keeping the line of the Savior alive. People like Samuel, John the Baptist, surprising births, and they ended up being important for bringing Israel back to faith in God. But this Shunammite woman didn't ask for a son, and this boy was not necessary for our salvation, not necessary for saving Israel from anything. This is just God doing something nice for a woman. And sometimes that's just what God does. God gives just because. Think of blessings that he's given you, blessings in your life right now that aren't necessary for your salvation. They're not even necessary for your survival. But God has richly lavished them on you. Why? I, I don't know. Just because. Just because. He's good. He's generous. He's thoughtful. That's the type of God that you have. But sometimes those good gifts from God bring along with them some bad. And the Shunammite woman certainly experienced that as well. God gave her a gift that she didn't ask for, and then he took it away. The son of the Shunammite woman grew up to be a boy, and then something terrible happened. Don't know exactly what happened. Maybe it was an injury or a disease. Some people have guessed maybe it was sunstroke, but, but the boy was outside with his father in the morning complaining about pain in his head. <laughs> By the end of the day, he was dead. He died right in his mother's arms. It's like the worst nightmare for a parent. And how especially cruel this death seems because it was an unexpected gift to the mother. She didn't ask for him. She seems to have accepted the fact that she was going to be childless her whole life, and she seems to be fine with that. And then God surprises her with the gift. And of course, she grows attached to this boy and loves this boy, and then God takes it away. And she experiences this heartache and this pain that she never would have experienced had she just remained childless. It seems like a cruel prank. God's gifts are good, but very often they can bring along with them some bad. But which of those, the good or the bad, do we find it so much easier to focus on? Many of the, many of the complaints and the worries that we have in our day-to-day -day lives, they're not about things that we don't have. A lot of them are about the things that we do have. What does that say about our attitude towards God and his gifts to us? And our attitude about ourselves and what maybe we think we deserve? I mean, the fact that you stress over your children's behavior and their future means that God has blessed you with children. The fact that you get frustrated over maintenance, and clutter means that God has blessed you with wealth, with possessions and assets. 
The fact that you can complain about your job and your coworkers and taxes means that God has blessed you with income. See, much of our grumbling, much of our crabbiness is a direct result of God's good gifts to us. Think about it from that perspective. And man, what a self-centered and spoiled response to God's gifts. And then, if God decides to take one or two of those gifts away from us, out of our life, man, we howl and shriek, and it reveals that maybe we thought we were entitled to those things in the first place. This is all evidence that perhaps perhaps you are not as good and godly as you like to think that you are. We're not so quick to say what Job said. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. We, we can be honest about this. We can be realistic about this. That having does set us up for losing and for mourning. But here's the thing. God does not take things away from us in order to be cruel. It is the same good, generous, thoughtful God who takes away as the one who gives. When Job said the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, he was using the name for God that emphasizes his love, his goodness, and his faithfulness. Even when he takes away, even when he allows the bad to come with the good. Now, this is not to minimize or, or, or trivialize the pain of losing, especially the pain of losing a child, which I can't think of much worse in this world. But today's scripture readings make something pretty clear. That the most precious gifts that God can give, he is able to give back again. He makes sure that we don't end with the bad. His goodness has the last word. He gives life. He takes life away. But then he gives life back. I mean, we say that, we confess that several times a month in the creed when we say, I believe in the resurrection of the body. Do you realize how crazy that sounds when you say that? That bodies, dead bodies, will come back to life. I believe that's, that's true. Lazarus was one of them. The Shunammite son was another in a really dramatic way. Uh, when Elisha reached the house, there was the boy lying dead on his couch. He went in, shut the door on the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then he got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, hands to hands. As he stretched himself out on him, the boy's body grew warm. Elisha turned away and walked back and forth in the room and then got on the bed and stretched out on him once more. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. The dead received life. Now, these readings today, they do not promise us that God will raise people from the dead in this life. These that we read about today, these are exceptional, rare situations. But what they do show is that God has the power to do it. In fact, it tells us that Jesus is the power to do it. Elisha had to pray to God for this to happen. Jesus just said, come on out. I tell you, come on out. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He has power even 
even over death, the thing that we can't, we can't have power over. No matter how many, how many things that mankind has conquered and tamed and cured, death remains the undefeated opponent. I mean, even Lazarus and the Shunammite boy died again. There's no medicine or treatment or preventative routine that can fend off death forever. The people in your life that God has given to you as a gift will die. You will too. But Jesus has the cure. He has power over death. He showed that when he raised Lazarus. He showed that when he himself came back to life. And he doesn't hoard that power for himself. He gives you the victory to share in it. He said, the one who believes in me will live even though he dies. You get the same victory because of Jesus' power. See, death, death is the result of your failure to be perfectly good and godly, so you can't avoid it. But what Jesus did on the cross, the reason he came to earth was, was to, die, to die the death that actually separates somebody from God. So that justice would be served for your sinfulness. And with that punishment paid and out of the way, now the physical death that you will experience will only be a physical death and not an eternal one. Because the one who believes in Jesus will live even after death because God's goodness gets the last word. And that's why the Bible refers to death very often as sleep. It's not a euphemism. You know, we soften things to make them sound not so bad. That's not what it is. This is reality. Death is asleep. Jesus said at the tomb of Lazarus, whoever lives by believing in me will never die, never die, even after they die. <laughs> because Jesus turns death into sleep. That means the same thing that happens to you when you go to bed at night is what's going to happen to you when you die. You've done it thousands of times, thousands and thousands of times. You close your eyes, you lose consciousness, and then you wake up. And then you do it again the next night. You close your eyes, you lose consciousness, and then you wake up. And you've done it so many times by now that you know what's going to happen, and you're not afraid of going to sleep because, you know, pretty soon, hopefully in the morning, not in the middle of the night, my eyes are going to open again, and I'll wake up. Because Jesus died the death of your sins, because he rose from the dead, you can face your death the same way you face going to bed at night. You know what's going to happen. You will close your eyes. You will lose consciousness. But then you're going to wake up to the eternal day, to the new heavens and the new earth, where your physical body, your real body will be awake again in a state of no more mourning or crying or sadness or pain. And you will see Jesus face to face. And you will interact with all of your other loved ones who have died in the Lord. 
My children go to school at Nina Lutheran School. This past week, the uh, husband of the second grade teacher suddenly, unexpectedly passed away. She went home after school to discover that God had taken that gift away from her. And it's terribly sad and terribly tragic, but it's not the end. It's not the final word because he's going to wake up. And so will she after she dies, and so will you after you die. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. She never saw that day coming. It was completely and totally unexpected. And death often catches us by surprise. But you know what? That's why we're here today. That's why we teach these things to his children. That's why we have schools to do that so that we can fill our minds and our hearts with these truths now to prepare for later, so that we're ready and prepared for the day when God decides to to take some of those gifts away from us or when he decides to allow the bad along with the good, so that we're ready, so that we're ready and we can face the bad with the trust that God is still good and that his goodness will have the last word. We'll even be prepared for the day he takes away life so that we can grieve, not like the rest of people who have no hope, but through the tears, we'll know that this is not the end. Because God gives good gifts, and he never stops doing that. And when the bad accompanies the good, we'll focus our eyes on Jesus, the giver, the good giver, and remember that his goodness will always have the last word. Amen. Thanks so much for worshiping with us today. We hope that God's word has strengthened your faith. To help us know more about the reach of our efforts here at Manav, we hope that you'll like and subscribe to our YouTube and Facebook pages and that you also sign our online friendship register to let us know that you're listening today. God bless and keep you.